Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Uh, doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I would say I really didn't have the most productive day I've had in uh, uh, a long while. I just felt like I really didn't do much of anything. It's a Sunday in January, Justin. I think you're allowed. Well, I have to say it probably started off wrong by I spent a little bit more time than I normally would watching the day, 24 hours of Daytona. Well, it was a pretty good race, I thought. It's not a bad race. Uh, I mean, obviously that race of the GTD uh, category or GTD Pro, excuse me, right, Kirby, right. Uh, was as good as any race I've seen anywhere at any time. I think. Well, considering it was the end of a 24-hour race, it was pretty impressive. That, yeah, that tight door to door. That is the uh, Daytona 24 at its best. Massive IndyCar presence in the, this year's uh, event, didn't you think, Kirby? Up and down the. Uh, the field and uh, IndyCar took home, I think, five Rolexes. Uh, they are well represented. A few drivers I've never heard of that I was very impressed with their uh, driving. Uh, that uh, well, Blumquist comes to mind. Yeah, that's uh, always always the case in these IMSA races. There's always guys I don't know. About the 50 year old uh, car dealer Ben Keating from Texas, <laughs> who uh, <laughs> not only raced in two different cars, I mean, and Did you he, know, by all he, accounts, you know, showed himself up well. I mean, that's pretty amazing too. Uh, renaming the bus stop the Le Mans chicane uh, is the height of contrivance, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think they're, I, I, you know, I was, I only watched uh, a bit of it, but I, at some point they had Kyle Petty on and he was kind of talking about the bus. I don't know what they call it now, but, you know, it used to be the bus stop, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> right. it pretty good. They must be trying to give it some uh, classic road course features or something by giving it those kind of names and it was a pretty good promotion for IndyCar, you'd have to say, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of interviews with IndyCar drivers, and, and uh, yeah. I think NBC is trying to share the wealth there a little bit. Yeah, IndyCar announcers, there's a lot of uh, drivers, as you say. I think uh, Helio climbing the fence like he does at Indy. I did find interesting, Curb, that Shank put in Elio at the end and not who I would assume they'd put in at the end, the most experienced uh, sports car driver there, and that was Pagano. I was slightly surprised, too. Um, I think, you know, in all the years Helio was driving sports cars for Penske, I don't think he was usually the cleanup driver there. I think it was usually one of the – Pagano didn't get a lot of emphasis, I don't think, uh, compared to Helio. You know, usually I think you have the full-time drivers are usually the guys that, you know, would be your cleanup driver, right? Shank could not hide his uh, admiration for Helio, that's for sure. He ought to be pretty happy with Helio as his driver the last <laughs> 10 months or 11 months or so, so, yeah. Uh, Curb, uh, we've been away for a couple of weeks. It's kind of amazing uh, the list of things that kind of pile up during those couple of weeks sometimes, especially for the off season. Well, it was it was media content day last week at IndyCar uh, here in Indianapolis, so I'm sure that spurred a lot of it. Curb, what uh, what spurred uh, besides an entire lack of imagination and and just a, a a cupboard empty of ideas spurred on a Brad Pitt movie uh, for F1? Say that again. Can you rephrase that question? <laughs> what, wasn't it phrased well? I, I, I got lost there somewhere. <laughs> See if I can be eloquent a second time. I guess what I'm speaking to is is uh, the lack of ideas coming out of Hollywood um, that puts uh, Brad Pitt reportedly doing a Apple movie uh, that's an F1 story that sounds – very familiar, let's put it this way, where Bad Pitt is playing a racer, comes out of retirement to mentor a young driver and take his final stab at glory on the track as the younger driver's teammate. 
I'm just reading that. I'm like, oh, God, that sounds A, familiar, and B, terrible. Right. You got Jerry Bruckheimer of uh, Top Gun uh, fame, who's also partnering on this film. It really sounds horrible. What do you think? Um, I agree. It sounds horrible. It sounds doomed to failure. And uh, the good news is that it's on streaming where it can easily be hidden if it sucks. Yeah, F1 is all the rage in America now, and they got to grab the momentum while it lasts. You know how fickle uh, fads could be in America. Curb, uh, I wasn't going to talk about this till later, but since you veered into F1, you're forcing me to. And all I right. just this this is my uh, almost uh, by the podcast. Uh, did you notice section of our podcast? Did you notice as we predicted the the track in Saudi Arabia is being fixed, improving mm-hmm. sight lines and so forth? Apparently, you did not notice that. Improving sight lines. Yeah, for the driver, so they don't—they're not coming around a blind corner and oh, oh, there's a the wreck driver. and they smash the it. Driver, yeah, not the fans, exactly. Okay. Yep. Oh, come on, Saudi Arabia. Who cares about the fans? And did you notice that Coda is uh, spending all the money that they never seem to have been able to spend before to repave their facility? No. And okay, well, those are two things you didn't notice. Two okay. things I did notice. You know, what's what's driving both of these Formula One and its popularity? I guess I shouldn't mention it because it's just a statement they obvious. But at the same time, like any car has no leverage with its current state of affairs to fix any of these tracks. Some of them in desperate need of repair. Right. Texas uh, being first on my list of tracks that I would like to fix, quote unquote, for IndyCar. Just, any they, tracks. Uh, they just they just repaved it five years ago. Well, I know, but you it's know what sorry, I'm talking about. It's the about. sorry part of it, yeah. Curb, any uh, any tracks on the current IndyCar schedule that you would uh, uh, like to see uh, repaired? Or uh, current na- or and or recent past? How's I'm going to say Nashville. Okay, Nashville is a good one. Um, I think the, what uh, was your idea there? Well, the, the far end of the, uh, you know, the downtown end of the bridge, that little hokey turnaround section there sucks, and... Um, I did hear or read somewhere that they thought they could maybe expand that and improve on that little section to make it not so uh, tight and not so. And then, of course, the stuff we talked about back in August, just just change the start and restart line. You can leave the finish line where it is and uh, you'll have a lot less mayhem. I uh, I want to add a couple to that list. Um, I'd like to see some more passing areas at mid-Ohio and uh, Portland. Seems like there's something that could be done there if there was money available to do it. Agreed. And, and then I'm going to throw uh, a little curveball at you, Curb, and I, I bet you agree. Um, if they could make Pocono, quote unquote, safer, that would be a great venue to go back to. Uh, I think it'd be a great venue to go back to anyway, and it doesn't need to be made any safer. Uh, a couple of fluke accidents and doesn't make it a, a dangerous track any more so than the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or Texas or any track like that. No. When I when I have these comments, I'm 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 making them all with in the context of reading uh, the split right now, um, yeah. which, which is reminding me of the greatness that was the cart IndyCar series uh, back in the day. You kind of forget, at least I have just kind of how big it was and how influential it was. If it had that kind of power today, all these tracks would, you know, this would be, it would have been done five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. If you're an, if you're an IndyCar fan, it tears your heart out. And, um, you know, as somebody else that I talked to that uh, has been involved in the sport for a long time, she's read the book much, much sooner than I did. And 
Told me just made her mad at you know who all over again. Uh, so frustrating. I mean, you and I went to a lot of races back in the '90s, especially uh, Laguna Seca, and you could take that crowd that we saw on TV the last couple of years and and uh, just put it in our one little hillside that we sat on. The crowds that were there when we attended the '90s, it's just a pittance now, and it's just sad to see. Let's not lament it any further, Curve. Let's work on building it. No. Yes. Yeah. As well, we constantly yes. as we constantly tear it down. That's what we're here yeah. Kirby, um, speaking of things that happen in our absence, and I don't want to spend too much time on either of it. Um, I am amazed by Connor Daly's ability to get sponsors. He's a better sponsor getter getter than he is a driver, in my opinion. Connor Daly apparently speaks to a whole different generation <laughs> than ours. Great, good for him, and more power to him. Um, but yeah, his ability just to Go have a, a, a 90 minute meeting in Las Vegas and come out with a multi year uh, IndyCar sponsorship uh, is pretty impressive. I mean, it really is. And I, I don't, uh, this isn't a criticism of him at all. It's it's amazing that he's been able to do this. He had a very mediocre year last year and really hasn't done anything in the years previous that has you going well. You know, he just hasn't been given the right shot. And I thought he, you know, I had him out for dead, and I think you weren't too far behind me on this. Um, and no, I, I lo and behold, it. here he comes up with the sponsor and the money, and he's he's got a job. Apparently, this is a um, a connection. Maybe his dad helped him make or something. But um, which dad, Curb? Stepdad. I'm sorry. I think his stepdad. It's always a mystery when the established team owners struggle to find sponsors, you know, even owners that have had success. I mean, half the time, Chip Ganassi isn't finding sponsors for his drivers, right? They're, you get the sponsor and bring them to me, and yeah, we'll push you in a car. So why, why uh, what is it, bitnile.com? Decides he wants to be on the uh, side of the car that was 17th in the series last year instead of uh, just calling up Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi or Michael Andretti and saying, hey, I, I think I think IndyCar is a way to market my product, and I'd like to be on one of your cars. Because you guys are always up up at the front. Instead, you know, you go hook up with the seventeenth place driver and uh, and uh, hook your fortune to him. So it's as I'm going to coin a new term here. It's Zach Vichian. Yeah, <laughs> Zach Vichian, uh, Stefan Wilsonish. Uh, Another thing that that came up as I was reading the split curve is, uh, you know, Mr. Foyt uh, features somewhat prominently in that book, right? Yeah. I th- feel, at least reading to the point where I've read, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through, it's not very favorable. And it really kind of says Foyt, you know, he stayed with USAC back when there was uh, the, the first split, if that's what you want to call it, right? And, you know, really padded his numbers. The team then went to the IRL and competed against practically, you know, a bunch of nobodies and really padded their numbers. That's the history of that team, and now they're competing at this level, and I, I'm just not sure that Foyt, the Foyt team is just – should be there at all. Well, uh, you know, I think everything what you just said indicates that um, when there's a choice to make, AJ's going to stick with tradition and where he thinks his bread is buttered and, um, and not necessarily look to the future. There's nothing wrong with that, and he's got the name, and he's able to keep trading on it. I think IndyCar is happy to still have his name around, and so it's a mutually beneficial arrangement on a certain level and uh, a non-mutually beneficial arrangement on others on more practical levels. Can I ask a pointed question? Sure. seems to me 
I recall sometime in our youth, AJ Foyt was your favorite driver. Am I correct I in that? No, I don't remember that. Maybe it was your father's favorite he driver. My, he was my dad's for a while, yeah. Okay. But Bobby, uh, Bobby, Bobby Unser, just to help your memory. Okay. Bobby Unser was your favorite driver. But you held AJ Foyt in some high esteem. Or not to in Indianapolis in the 70s, wasn't it? Okay, fair. Knowing what you know now, seeing what you've seen, do you still hold him in the same esteem that you did previously? In what role? I don't think he's still a great driver. I don't, I don't think anybody can take that away from him. I guess what I was getting at is that, you know, Tony George gets a lot of the blame for the IRL, and that's justifiable, um, to say the least. But his uh, his second lieutenant was A.J. Foyt, as far as I'm concerned. I will always give second fiddle to uh, NASCAR Bill France and whatever joker Bill France had sent to uh, whisper in Tony George's ear. That's true. It's probably in, in order, uh, it goes Tony George, Bill France, and A.J. Foyt. Right. In terms of culpability. Wow, very, a lot of depressing topics today, Kirby. <laughs> Did you see that uh, uh, some sponsor, and I can't remember the name of the sponsor, but some sponsor has uh, rejuvenated the idea of a triple crown in IndyCar and uh, was be offering a million-dollar prize to the first driver that can win the this new version of the triple crown? Yeah, I thought that was actually kind of brilliant uh, in the sense that it's not tied to three races, it's tied to three types of races. Right. And therefore you know, has a very good chance of going all the way to the end of the year as being a thing, um, as opposed to if it was just tied to races. As soon as that second race had happened and the guy didn't win it again, it was over. And so I think it just has a, a much greater chance to be a, a longer thing over the over the course of the year. No, I agree. And it's like the last oval is gateway road courses, the last two races of the season, and then your last street race is nashville which is the fourth to last race so assuming it isn't accomplished before then that uh prize could still be there to be had as late as the last race and and but just in general you know the the talk has been indycar needs to be popular enough to get more people to want to spend money in indycar and it isn't just sponsoring cars it's offering prizes like this that uh a positive sign that uh, somebody's created some way to spend a million dollars in indycar Kerba, speed of marketing Sometimes when I'm bored and feeling a bit suicidal, I listen to our old podcast. <laughs> and I happen to listen to uh, episode 17 of uh, of season two. Are you having to fill space for another podcast you've stopped listening to and you just had nowhere else to turn? <laughs> and in episode 17, season two, um, yeah. I... I went on quite an eloquent rant about the the marketing of IndyCar and how I found it substandard. Right around the same time, you sent me a brief on uh, a Ms. Ellie Norman, uh, who has left uh, Formula One marketing mm-hmm. in search of other opportunities. Let's hope Roger Penske is talking to her, Ms. Norman. And I, I got to say, what's the, what's the brief here? What's the brief for Miss Norman? I, to me, the brief is, look, we've got arguably the best racing in the world right now. Right. We have a you know premier world premier event as a as a cornerstone of of the series. However, we've got this problem of a aging fan base, non-existent TV ratings. And non-existent 
drivers that nobody knows. Would you say that's her brief, Curb? It's the place to start, and um, and it's a pretty open-ended brief. So I, she must, she better be pretty good. I mean, is there even a route to to make IndyCar bigger and better, or are we just fooling ourselves? You know, honestly, can they be bigger and better with only 17 races a year and such an inconsistent schedule? I mean, how do you build any awareness when you're around so infrequently? I mean, even Formula One is pushing up to, what are they, up to 22 or 23 races now or something? Yeah. And they're going all over the damn world. <laughs> I mean, In fact, I, said, I, I saw some comment from them the other day. We could have 50 races if we wanted. Well, I, didn't, I don't know about that, but I mean, you know, the uh, the old um, uh, stories we used to mock about how tough it is on the uh, IndyCar uh, team members that have to race, you know, three or four weekends in a row. Um, these guys are doing three races and three weekends and three continents. And I'm um, reading stories or hearing podcasts or whatever about how tough it is on all these Formula One team members. And well, they got a thousand people per car in, in, uh, in Formula One. I mean, it's. Got to be a lot tougher to run that series, of course, than IndyCar. You're going to run a race in February, right? You might run a race in March, and then you're going to run a race in April again. And then you're, you know, you're going to hit your stride there from May to August, and then you're going to stop. I mean, you know, you're going to get to the first weekend or second weekend in September, and it's all over again. I just don't know how with that short of schedule and that inconsistent of scheduling during that schedule that you can really build up a, a product that, that you can build around and market around. Well, I guess to play devil's advocate to that comment uh specifically curb is that in the height of cart uh it was kind of an inconsistent schedule right there were there was only 17 or 18 races uh sometimes 20 if if memory serves i'm just looking at uh 1995 right now there's 17 races right And, and cart had tremendous popularity in fact you know f1 was worried about them usurping them i i agree Um, with you i i do agree with you i think they should have more races but i don't think it's the number of races per se that's killing them i i think it's it's two things it's tv ratings and nobody knows who the damn drivers are obviously tv obviously tv ratings are the ultimate uh decider of these things and how well you're going to do as a sport these days i would question if you went down to texas and asked the average person in austin the name of any drivers besides Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen uh, for Formula One, right? But it's the hottest thing going right now. So, But I, mean, I don't think we have a Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. I mean, we just don't. We don't even have one of those. The greatest dri- IndyCar driver, nobody knows who he is. He's completely anonymous. Scott Dixon, I'm talking about, of course. No, I thought you were talking about Joseph Newgarden. Uh, but either way. Even, there's, even, either well, way. even more extreme, I would say. Right. It's a real challenge, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think I saw or read that IndyCar has hired some new people in that area, not not the lady you're talking about. Hopefully they're up to the task. Um, well, it's awfully, yeah. awfully quiet about Drive to Survive for Less, too. We're almost in February. In another year, there are going to be so many Drive to, for, Drive to Survive for Less shows out there flooding the marketplace. <laughs> yeah. You may be, it may not even matter if you have one. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's going to, you know. Uh, lawnmower racing is going to have its own drive to survive series right exactly curb uh, back did to you, the marketing oh, have you heard have you heard uh did you see where uh, uh dinner with racers dropped some more podcasts recently 
Yes. And uh, the one with Michael Gallup, who's the general manager of uh, Watkins Glen, was on there. And, you know, they said, well, you know, you're friends with Eddie Gossage. And, and uh, what's it going to be like now that he's gone? He said, now you can tell us what, what kind of things did Eddie Gossage do or say that would make the rest of you promoters, you know, just roll your eyes. And uh, he said, oh, probably when he would uh, claim that there were 30,000 fans at the IndyCar races. <laughs> He said, we all would just laugh and, and uh, you know, hold our bellies when he told us that. I don't think we're ever going to get press credentials after this uh, episode. Kerb. <laughs> Telling a little bit too much truth here, I think. Kerb, uh speed of marketing and IndyCar marketing, uh, I did get, and I'm wondering if you filled out the IndyCar survey. Oh, yes. Uh, I jumped all over that one. Did you fill it out? I did, yeah. What stuck out to me, I don't remember hardly any of it, but what did stick out, stuck out to me was a few things. One is there was a tremendous amount of questions about social justice and the environment and yeah. a lot of questions about gaming. Clearly, uh, there's thoughts going on in the marketing of IndyCar that do not account for you and me. Strange. And then I thought, you know, name the three tracks that the IndyCar series can't do without. <laughs> And they actually included the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or the Indy 500 <laughs> as a choice. You could not choose if you wanted to. Um, so, yeah, it was, a little, it was a little bit odd. Indicative, I think, of a potential direction they're thinking about going. To the extent that uh, a racing series is going to be worried about social, uh, not social, but, you know, climate change or anything like that. If the car manufacturers that are, that are supporting the sport want to make that an issue, then you'll make it an issue. And if they don't, then... You're going to work with them to come up with the best racing product you can. IndyCar has got too many tr- problems to go trying to solve the rest of the problems in the world um, if they want to be successful as a series. Car racing is not a pursuit of an environmentalist. I mean, it's just to me, it's it's uh, almost it's antithetical. They're trying to shoehorn it in there as the auto industry, I guess, is trying to shoehorn it in there. But the realities are quite different. I find it difficult to reconcile this and and accept that like we, somehow this is going to lead to the IndyCar uh rate or the IndyCar community the IndyCar league whatever you want to call it being more successful in the future I don't I don't see it going anywhere it's just such a a me too grab here I don't think you're going to gain um a bunch of wokester fans with your you know, hybrid systems next year um you know with your new engines fortunately for us longtime fans of IndyCar racing, we still should have the the sounds and smells and and uh, general atmospherics of of racing that we all enjoy. Kerb, uh, I'm running out of energy, if not time. I know you had a few things you wanted to get off your chest, so I am saying let's do it. Now's the time. You seem to think that Graham Rahal may be uh, looking towards. Uh, Car ownership uh, as opposed to car drivership in the relatively near future. Apparently, that was one of the stories that came out of uh, Content Day. And um, I guess with the opening of their shop in Zionsville, um, Mr. Lanigan and Mr. Rahal gave him a call and said, hey, this is the first step on our transition to uh, to yourself and, and Mr. Lanigan's son being the uh, owners of the team in the future and, and driving the ship going forward. Ray Hall also made some comments to uh, Kevin Lee to the effect that, you know, I've been driving 16 years. I'm a lot closer to the end than I am to the beginning. Apparently could trend that way sooner than you might have thought. 
Uh, you might not be one of these 45-year-olds out there driving uh, an Indy car like some of the others. Graham seems to be smarter than most drivers, I would say, wouldn't you say? Yeah, sure. He's got a good head on his shoulders, I think. It sounds like he's got a lot of other business interests going outside of, um, you know, dry, uh, racing. And I mean, he seems a bit smarter than, say, you know, like a Will Power, if you don't mind me saying so. I, I, I won't argue with you there. Okay, but point being, he probably would be one to kind of, you know, be a little more objective about his career and his ability to move forward. And and you got to start questioning at this point whether Graham's really going to be able to, you know, to improve uh, substantially from where he's at right now. I think that's a legitimate question to ask. I would say he's a consistent uh, six through ten uh, performer in the season championship, right, in most years for any driver. Breaking out of that uh, grouping and getting into the top five is a is a challenge. Hey, if he could qualify in the top four, uh, he'd be he'd probably won a few of these things by now. Yeah, it's really that simple. The other thing that I thought was interesting, Kurt, maybe this came out of the same thing that you uh, had said uh, about, is that uh, Jimmy Johnson may be in for more than just this year. That's what he told Kevin Lee. Two or three more years of of doing it at least, if uh, if his sponsors will have him. So I think that's uh. Uh, yeah, refreshing. I curb. I find myself looking at text messages as we're talking. That must mean it's time to go. Uh, do we have any sponsors left? South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this wonderful podcast to Saul, and he will give you a generous discount. Twitter at Hero H I R O IndyCar at Hero IndyCar. Four weeks from yesterday for the uh, opening race, right? Is it really? February 27th. I'm not ready for that yet, Coach. Something for everybody to look forward to. So. All right, good night, man. Take care.